Okay, we are in 1 Thessalonians. Last week, we covered verses 1 through 5. This week, we're covering verses 6 through 10 in the book of 1 Thessalonians. So, if you're there, uh, great. What the heck, man? My, uh, my clock disappeared on me. Okay, let me see what time it is. There's always like a couple minutes difference between real time and that clock. Okay, <laughs> I think I'm good. Let me open with this before we, get, before we jump into 1 Thessalonians. There was a couple things I ran across this week that I thought were really helpful. There's a, there's a 1,600-year-old prayer, 1,600-year-old prayer, which still stirs hearts today. It's particularly helpful to those of us who want to follow Jesus Christ. It's called St. Patrick's Breastplate. St. Patrick's Breastplate. It's a popular prayer attributed to one of Ireland's most beloved patron saints. According to tradition, St. Patrick wrote this prayer in about 433 A.D., for divine protection before successfully converting the Irish king and his subjects from paganism to Christianity. I'm only going to show you a snippet. It's maybe one-fifth, one-sixth of the entire prayer, but I think it's powerful. Check this out. This is a part of it. Christ be with me. Christ in the front. Christ in the rear. Christ within me. Christ below me. Christ above me. Christ at my right hand. Christ at my left Christ in the fort, Christ in the chariot seat, Christ at the helm, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks to me, Christ in the eye, in every eye that sees me, and Christ in every ear that hears me. It just made me think of this church, the the church of Thessalonica, that Paul preached there in three Sabbaths, and they are living out their faith so well. He's commending them. He writes this letter to say, you guys are just walking so well. You're walking with excellence. And so it just reminded me of the church at Thessalonica. Here's another quote, similarly, much shorter, but similarly. Really think about this. A Christian is a mind through which Christ thinks. A heart through which Christ loves. A voice through which Christ speaks. And a hand through which Christ helps. There's a big difference between what we declare and what we do. We are not to declare, we are to do the the tenets of our faith. And this is what the church at Thessalonica is doing. They are doing the things of the Lord. I want to revisit a few verses from last week. If you're in 1 Thessalonians, great. If not, turn there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I just want to revisit a few few verses from, from last week to kind of calibrate our hearts and our minds. If you recall, in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, let's read those. So Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, they're the ones that are writing this letter. Paul, Paul Silas, Silvanus is Roman for, for Silas. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy, verse 2. We give thanks to God for you, church. He's writing to a church, for the church of Thessalonica. Making mention of you in our prayers, always. So they're, so they're thanking God always for all of them making mention in their prayers. Constantly bearing in mind three things. Your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. So they're, they're walking in faith and love and hope, and they're doing it well. Go to chapter 4 of our book, 1 Thessalonians, and look at verse 1. We did this last week as well. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Finally, Paul writes, 
Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort. And I just love that. He's, he's going to ask something, but he's also going to commend them. Pretty powerful. We, we request and exhort you in, in the Lord that as you receive from us instruction as to how you're to live your Christian life, as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you're actually doing it, that you excel still more. Oh my goodness. Look at verses 9 and 10 of that same chapter. Now as to the love of the brethren, you're supposed to love each other. You know that. You have no need for anyone to write to you. You understand that. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward everybody, all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Church, if, if you're living the Christian life well, excel still more. There's never a point where we can't excel still more. That is so encouraging. And that's the challenge for us. It's the exhortation that thank you for excelling. And then the challenge is excel still more. So this is the, 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 the basis of the letter, that they're doing really, really well. And the challenge is for them to continue to do well and to excel still more. That's never going to stop for us. That's the challenge for us every day, every day, every day. Do well and excel still more. Mm, what a great challenge. Let's read our verses and then we're going to pray. Let's read verses 6 through 10 and then we're going to pray. Verse 6. So he continues. You also became imitators of us, Paul says. He's saying us, meaning him and Silas and Timothy. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. Having received the word in much tribulation, think about this, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, huh? So that you became an example to all the believers, not just in Macedonia, but now to another province, the province of Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but really every place that your faith toward God, God has gone forth. And we don't have any need to say anything else. Their lives preached in such a way there was nothing to add to it. Verse 9, for they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you. So there's two things going on in verse 9. A report about what kind of reception we had with you and then how you turned. So Paul and his team came in, they were received, and then they repented. The church, the, the, the people at Thessalonica, they turned from, uh, to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And then to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Lord, we are just incredibly humbled that we can spend time in your word, that we our lives can brush up against this letter, the lives of this church family, this church at Thessalonica. And, and we can uh, assess, Lord, what it is that you, what you have for us, what you want to teach us, how you want to grow us, how you want to change us. Lord, not just individually, but, but as a church family. Lord, this was a, a letter written to a church, to a church body. And so, Father, we pray that you have your way with us as a church family. We pray as a, as a, as a, as a body of believers, Lord, that, that you would have your way with us, that you would show us what it is you're trying to teach us. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this letter. We pray, Lord, that we would get out of the way and that we would allow you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. Good to be with you guys. Lord loves you. The Lord loves us, man. Is that crazy? I love it. He loves you. I love you. We're in good hands, man. Verse 6. Let's start at verse 6. We're going to go through these one at a time. Verse 6. <laughs> you also became imitators of us. And of the Lord. 
Both. Having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Wow, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> Let me ask you. Was it the Cheshire cat that says, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Are, are, are you your own person? Have you, have you found yourself? This is what the world says, right? Be your own person. Find yourself. Carve out your own pathway in life. Is that, is that you? Let me give you some worldly quotes about being yourself, being whoever you want to be. Here's the first one. This is from a philanthropist from the late 1800s, early 1900s. Be who you are and say what you feel. Because those who mind don't matter, and those who matter don't mind. <laughs> How about Coco Chanel? A girl should be two things, who and what she wants. How about Frank Zappa? He doesn't get quoted in church that often. Yeah, I'm probably the first and I might be the last. If you end up with a boring, miserable life because you listen to your mom, your dad, your teacher, your priest, or some guy on television telling you how to do your stuff, then you deserve it. Well, thank you, Frank. I'm so inspired. Is that crazy? Church, as we've noted, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they're exhorting these new believers on the excellence of their discipleship. They're new believers. Paul was there for three Sabbaths. They're new believers, and they are exhorting these new believers on their excellence of their discipleship. They're also being exhorted for how well they're walking through those three cardinal virtues of faith, hope, and love, as was mentioned in verse 3. <laughs> so here's what's happening. Church, they are being commended for becoming imitators. That's what's happening in verse 6. They're not, not about being your own person, not about carving out your own pathway. They're being commended. They're being lifted up to us for all the world to see as a church that's killing it because they're imitating something and someone. Huh. Look again at verse 6a, the first part of verse 6. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord. Not just imitators of the Lord, but imitators of godly men and women as well. What, what allowed them to excel is their imitation of God and imitation of godly men and women. They excel not by becoming independent, but by becoming dependent. That's how we excel as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Dependent upon the Lord and dependent upon our brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's both. It's both. And many times believers only focus on one half of this reality and they miss the other half. And they're not going to walk in excellence. You can't just walk with the Lord. I have my relationship with the Lord. I don't need other people. That's not what Paul's commending them for. He's commending them for imitating one another and imitating the Lord. It's pretty powerful. And so I ask you, what is your daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly plan? What are some things you do every day, some things you do every week, some things you do every month, and some things you do every year for knowing and imitating the Lord? What is your plan? What is your plan for knowing and imitating godly people? It's got to be part of your plan. So I wonder, other than the Lord, whose life is your life imitating? Whose life is your life imitating? For what it's worth, here's just, here's a few of mine. My wife. She's amazing. 
arguably any godliness that exists in my body probably comes from her. Pastor Dave. Pastor John. Werhaus. Rob Selleck, who's now out in Texas. Pastor Chris Dubose, who oversees our, who pastors our church in Texas. Pastor Doug Spriggs, my dear friend, who pastors a church in Duarte. Pastor Larry Wachemeyer, who pastors a church in Long Beach. One of our elders, Russ Marzoff. Another one of our elders, Bruce Cook. Pastor Matthew Cork over at Yorba Linda Friends. These are just a few of the people that I'm trying to imitate. There's others, but that's just a few. I hope you have a list of people that you're trying to imitate. Not just the Lord, but others as well. Godly men and women that you're pouring into their lives and and they're pouring into yours. Look at the last half of verse 6. Check this out. So let's read. Okay, so you also became imitators of us and of the Lord. Great. Having received the gospel message, you received the word, you received the Lord in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's like, what? What? As is often the case... Coming to Christ brings both joy and tribulation. Joy, when we give our lives to Christ, we, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, becomes part of our lives, right? Comes into our lives. And the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. Right? So we're immediately people of joy. But we oftentimes experience tribulation. Some of the other reasons for joy we realize that when we give our lives to Christ, we've been forgiven of our sin. But we're not just forgiven of our sin, we're also set free from the power and the dominion of sin over our lives. We've been adopted into the family of God that brings us joy, and we've been restored back into a right relationship with our Creator that brings us joy. What about the tribulation? Well, the reason that there's tribulation is we now have to learn how to exit a life of sin. We have to go, wow, okay, I've got a new life. And so we have to figure that stuff out. So there's tribulation. In the midst of the joy, there's, there's this tribulation of learning how to exit a life of sin and learning how to live a life of righteousness. There's potentially a significant change in our social life, which is probably what Paul's talking about here. Perhaps alienation from family and friends because you were serving false gods and now you're serving the true and living God. And family and friends say, what? Right? Here's what's cool. Conversion to Jesus Christ, to Christianity, meant temporary affliction, but it also promised eternal rejoicing. Oftentimes, conversion will mean temporary affliction, but it promises eternal rejoicing. It's a great payoff. It's a great price to pay. Oh, church, we really do need one another in that regard, don't we? So here's the thing. A healthy lifestyle of imitating God and imitating one another helps us through challenge and trial and tribulation, and brings us the joy of the Lord. This is what we need to learn, right? We need to imitate God, imitate one another, work through the challenge and tribulation, and walk in the joy of the Lord that comes through him and his family. Church, we're in verse 7. Let's read verse 7. So that... This is amazing. So that, you, like, they did it so well that they became an example to all the believers, not just in the province of Macedonia where Thessalonica is located, but also in the neighboring province of Achaia. You became an example to all the believers in these two provinces. So check it out. As kids, we all want to grow up and become someone, don't we? We all want to grow up and become someone. Well, at least our parents wanted us to become someone, right? I hope you grow up to be somebody. Good luck. These 
Thessalonians who are new to the faith have become someone. That's what verse 7 tells us. Verse 7 says, you became an example to all believers in these vast regions of Macedonia and Achaia. They became someone. Wow. This is high praise. These provinces covered several hundreds of miles. Listen, church, nowhere else did Paul write to a particular church that their faith was a pattern that inspired the discipleship of others. This is a group of people that became someone. They became an example because of how stout they were in their faith. Mm. May we, not just our church, the church in general, may we become known for becoming disciples that inspire discipleship in others, right? They were being talked about for hundreds of miles. They were new to the faith. People were talking about them. May we become known for becoming disciples that inspire discipleship in others. So I ask you, who or what are you and I trying to become? They became examples of the Lord God Almighty. Who or what are you and I trying to become? Has your life become an example to other believers? Has your life become, is your life becoming an example to other believers? And if not, why not? If not, why not? Keep in mind, these Thessalonians were new in their faith and for hundreds of miles they inspired discipleship in other people's lives. This letter then, if you put two and two together, <laughs> reveals that we can all live exemplary Christ-like lives. They're new in their faith. It takes away the excuse, arguably, from any of us of living an exemplary life that people can talk about or will talk about for hundreds of miles. So I, I wonder... What are we waiting for? What's getting in the way of us living exemplary lives? What's hindering us? What, what part of our, our lives are not an example to all believers? It says that they became an example to all believers. That means every part of their life was an example to every believer in two regions. What part of our lives are not an example to all believers? What are some things that be like, well... Most of my life's an example to most believers. They were, all of their lives were an example to all believers. It's something that you need to talk to the Lord about if anything comes up for you. Check out the connection here. There's a connection. In verse 7, they became an example to all the believers. That's the foundation. That's, that's the reality. The foundation of becoming someone, the foundation of becoming someone, of becoming an example, is found in verse 6. They became imitators. Verse 6 says you became imitators. Verse 7 says you became an example. You become imitators, and then you become an example. The foundation of becoming an example is becoming imitators. That's the foundation of becoming an example. We become imitators of the Lord and imitators of godly men and women. It's both. It's both. We're to imitate God, imitate one another, so that we can be an example to everyone. We need to be in community with one another. For us to imitate one another, we have to be in community with one another. 
So we'll talk more about this later, but in the spring, we're going to launch three, maybe as many as five brand new community groups so that we can be in community, so that we can imitate one another as well as imitate our God so that we can be an example to everyone else. Amen? Okay. So can we say what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1? Can we say this? Can we say what Paul says because the Thessalonians could? Paul says, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Can we say that? Paul says, yeah, you can look at Christ. That's good. You can look at me. That's good. You need to do both. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. You're good either way. Do both. Can we say that to other people as Paul said to this church in Corinth? That's what he's talking about here. Imitate me, imitate the Lord, and be an example to everyone else. The Thessalonians did that. So, are we living, then, <laughs> becoming or unbecoming lives? Are we becoming like Jesus? Are, are we living becoming lives? Are we becoming examples? Or are we living an unbecoming life? Here's what it means to the word becoming. Suitable, fitting, and appropriate. If I'm living a becoming life, it needs to be suitable, fitting, and appropriate. According to what? According to this. According to God's word. So if you're living a becoming life, you're becoming suitable, fitting, and appropriate according to God's word. If you're living an unbecoming life, that means not according with the standards appropriate to one's position in life. The standards appropriate to one's position in life. My position in life is I'm a child of God. Well, then are you living according to the standards appropriate to your position in life? Because if you're not, then you're living an unbecoming life instead of a becoming life. Okay, verse 8. Verse 8, okay, so there's two things that are resounding, like it's, like it's like a sound that's reverberating. There's two things in verse 8. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. That's the first thing. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place that your faith toward God has sounded forth or gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything, right? So the first thing is the word of the Lord resounds from their life. And then the second thing that resounds from their life is their faith toward God. This is what they're known for. Their lives are known for the word of the Lord just reverberates out of their lives and their faith toward God just resounds and reverberates in their life. That's a great two things to be known for. Every time I talk to that guy, the word of the Lord and his faith toward God comes out. Wow, that's the challenge that's placed here. These two things are not only connected, they cannot be separated. They're connected and can't be separated. The word of the Lord and their faith go hand in hand. Paul says as much in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. He says, our faith comes from hearing the word of God. Our faith and the word of God go hand in hand. Faith comes from hearing, and you've got to be hearing the word of Christ, the word of God, the gospel message. They go hand in hand. They can't be separated. So let me say it this way. Here's what's happening here in this verse. The word establishes our faith. And our faith reveals the truth that we know. Let me say that again. The word establishes our faith. And our faith reveals the truth that we know. This is what's taking place in verse 8. That's what's sounding forth. The word of God is sounding forth. And their faith toward God is sounding forth. They go hand in hand. Their lives spoke in such a way that they literally dropped the mic. Their lives spoke in such a way that Paul, Silas, and Timothy had nothing to add. 
So it's like, okay, you're Thessalonians, right? What's, what's sounding forth is the word of God is sounding forth, their faith toward God. And look what verse 8 says at the end. So that we have no need to say anything. Oh, my goodness. Like, hey, Paul, you got anything to add to these Thessalonians? Nope. The word of God resounds out of their life, and their faith toward God resounds out of their life. I got nothing to add. Pretty basic. So I ask us, I ask you, does the word of the Lord sound forth from you? Does the word of the Lord sound forth from you? And does your faith toward God sound forth from you so that there's nothing to add? How refreshing that all of us can live lives that preach fully. That's what they're saying at the end there, that we have no need to say anything. Their lives preach fully. Their lives preach fully. There's nothing to add. And they're new in their faith. And so the encouragement for each and every one of us is that our lives can preach fully. The word of the Lord can sound forth from our lives, and our faith toward God can sound forth from our lives. We're all capable of doing that. So I ask you, if we're to be hearing the word of the Lord, if we're not hearing the word of the Lord, what or who are we hearing? If hearing from the Lord is what produces our faith, then our faith reveals what we're hearing from the Lord. If we're not hearing from the Lord, what are we hearing? Let me say it this way. If we're hearing from the Lord, we establish our faith, we walk in faith, and our faith actually sounds forth the very word we are hearing. Okay? If we're hearing from anything or anyone other than the Lord, there is no telling the ungodly outcomes that we are capable of. That's what's at at stake here. Hmm. So I wonder, what is sounding forth from our lives? The word of the Lord or man's word? Our culture, the world. What is sounding forth from our lives? Faith toward God or faith toward ourselves? Faith toward man? Faith toward circumstances? Church, we're in verse 9. For they themselves report about, about us what kind of reception. So there's two things, right? So how we were received by you is what Paul and Silas and Timothy are talking about. And once you received us, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Okay, so... First, their reception. So Paul had a bad reputation, right? Like Paul was preaching Jesus to places that people didn't want him to be preaching Jesus to. Paul was getting chased all around the world, right? Like, get out of here, dude. And so their reception of Paul, who was always under attack, is commendable. He's commending them that they received him well. Arguably, no matter where we church, the leaders will be under attack. Arguably, no matter where we go to church, the leaders will be under attack. That's what Paul says. Like, hey, I'm under attack, but you received me. You, 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 you trusted me. There was, there was lies and there was ac- false accusations being made about Paul. And so he commends them for receiving him in spite of all that. They are commended for remaining loyal to Paul, Silas, and Timothy in that verse. But in the second part of that verse, we also see here the biblical concept of repentance where it says... And how you turned. Repentance means to turn. And he says how you turned to God from idols so that you can serve a living and true God, which means a false and a dead God instead. Instead of serving them, you're serving a living and true God. Let me, let me give you, in this verse we see, it's on the screen already, but we see here the biblical concept of repentance. Check this out. This is pretty powerful. 
This church, this is what it means to repent. We say, oh, repent means to turn. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but it's more, to, more than that, right? Repentance refers to a deeply seated and thorough turning from self to God. It occurs when a radical turning to God takes place, an experience in which God is recognized as the most important fact of one's existence. Hmm. So at the root of them, really the true foundation of them excelling, of walking in faith, hope, and love, of imitating Christ and others, at the root of it is they had a true repentance. Their repentance was real. They radically turned from one direction of life fully to God. So let me say it this way. (laughs) I'll say it twice. Because they had indeed truly repented, became imitators of the Lord, and imitators of godly people, they became example to all the other believers. Right? So they fully repented. They started imitating godly men and women. They started imitating the Lord. And then their lives preached for hundreds of miles. And it all started because they had a true repentance. They didn't partially repent. They didn't say, I really need you, Jesus, but I'm going to keep these few things of sin in my life. They fully, fully repented. And then they imitated God. They imitated one another, and their lives preached for hundreds of miles. It's amazingly powerful. If we are not living exemplary lives for our Lord, where others would want to imitate us, then perhaps at the root of it is that we haven't truly turned from idols, right? Because that's the foundation of what's taking place here, right? If we're not living exemplary lives for, for Jesus, where others would want to imitate us, then perhaps at the root of it is we haven't really thoroughly repented. We've held on to some things. And those things, it says in verse 9, that they're, they're, they're not living and they're not true, They're dead. They lead to death. They cause death in us. They're false. They're lies. And they bring death. Church, we're in verse 10. And then to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Here's what we need to know from verse 10. (laughs) Jesus is coming again. Amen? We are to wait and his coming is a rescue mission. He, Paul tells them to wait for his son, to wait for Jesus. That was 2,000 years ago. We know he's coming. We know we're supposed to wait. But it says that he came to rescue. It says at the end of verse 10, who rescues us from the wrath that is to come. How often do we thank the Lord for a future deliverance of the wrath that is to come? Lord, thank you, not just that you saved me, but that you also delivered me. You're rescuing me from the wrath that will surely come. What's interesting about how our verse, we started in verse 6. Our stanza is verse 6 through 10. We start in verse 6, we end in verse 10. Look how gracious our God is. Verse 6 starts with this word called tribulation. You will experience much tribulation. We'll have joy, but that's how it says it, right? You receive the word in much tribulation. So we see this word tribulation in verse 6. And then we see this word wrath in verse 10. Isn't that interesting? So church, I ask you, which one are you going to choose? Are you going to choose tribulation or are you going to choose wrath? Choose tribulation. Because <laughs> in verse 6 it says that we can experience tribulation with what? With joy. James writes that, you know, consider it pure joy when you experience trials or tribulation of various kinds. 
Because those things create godliness in us, right? Can you experience joy and wrath? No. Choose wisely. Choose tribulation. You can have joy in the midst of tribulation. There is no joy in God's wrath. Check out the definition of tribulation. Tribulation is this. It's distress, an oppressive state of physical, mental, social, or economic adversity. It's a period of time. It's a state. And arguably what's happening here is the social component of tribulation where maybe family's leaving them because they're coming to Christ and so it creates division in a family where we want to worship false gods and you're wanting to worship the true and living God. That's a problem. So it's a social tribulation. But look at wrath. Wrath is punishment. The punitive outworking of God's righteous indignation at sin, perhaps describing an anger long building. Church, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> we cannot experience joy and wrath, but we can experience joy even in the midst of tribulation. Amen? I love God's word. Thank you guys so much. I'm going to invite up the worship team. I'm going to pray for us while they're working their way up. If you need prayer after service, please come see our prayer team after service. Good to be with you guys. Hope to see you at the luncheon. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you so much for the depth of your, the depths of your word. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you give us good cause to imitate you. But Lord, you also give us good cause to imitate one another. Lord, we thank you for the godly men and women of this church that we can brush up against and imitate them. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for this letter. We thank you that we've got so much to learn from it. Lord, help us as a church learn from this letter that was written to a church. We love you and we thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.